0: Welcome back, everyone. Dr. B here again, another episode of Ask the Dentist. Thanks for joining me. Um, uh, Today, we're going to talk about how your tongue can help you lose weight. Uh, I'm just trying to keep you engaged here, but all of that is true. I can support it. Found a new study that just came out, pulled up another study that I was aware of, and I'm going to make a connection here for you about how The condition of your tongue is a big influencer on how much you eat and when you stop eating. So I think that'll be fun. Let me just start off by saying that it is late January. Tomorrow, the lawsuit that's been now going on now for about four or five years against the EPA about fluoride in our drinking water. As you know, this is a big topic for me. I've been against fluoride even before my daughters were born, and that, that goes back 36 years now. Yes, the oldest is 36 years old. And I just want to say I'm very excited. I will be reporting every day. It is here in San Francisco. It's just an hour away from where I live and work, and I will give you the lowdown as to how it's going. I will be attending via Zoom at first, and then when the critical aspect of the last few days, or actually it's going to be a few weeks of this lawsuit, when it gets exciting and when there's important testimony To be heard and also from a historical standpoint i would like to be there especially if the decision is in in favor of removing fluoride from our water supply supporting all the data that has come up or come out in the last 15 years that it is harming uh, the brains of fetuses and infants, the developing brain. In other words, that would be very exciting for me. I'm not going to tell all the dental organizations. I'm not going to thumb, put a thumb up to them. I'm not going to say, I told you so. I am just going to move on from this and hopefully help the the profession move on as well. We've already done that um, with our uh, dental toothpaste uh, company called Fig. We've developed a product that will allow dentists to apply a varnish without fluoride and still bill for it. Um, These are important things. We've got to keep dentists in business and we have to provide alternatives to help remineralize teeth but also to help them provide a solid and complete product and also by giving them an alternative to fluoride i've talked about that in in one of the last few episodes a few weeks ago and that would be the dental varnish episode Uh, i would listen to that that's very interesting uh, okay, so lawsuit is starting tomorrow. They've put aside two weeks for it. I am very excited. This, this, no matter which way it goes, it's it's a a very pivotal point. I will be listening and reporting to you on actually what is going on. I'll try and simplify it, explain to you how it affects you, and let's just hope for the that Judge Chen makes a decision in the favor of his grandchildren. I'm assuming he has grandchildren. Um, or, or any young child or any fetus to protect their brains and their development and overall their IQ. There are other issues with fluoride. You've heard me talk about it over the last decade. And you've heard that I did not raise my daughters on with fluoridated drinking water. We at home were distilling our water and we tried as much to prevent them from ingesting this neurotoxin. Anyway, enough of that. That can get boring pretty quickly for many people because they've heard both sides and the arguments and the uh, the back and forth just seems to be ridiculous. But I'm hoping that will come to an end soon. Anyway, let's talk about today's product. Sorry, today's topic. This is fascinating. Taste determines your level of satiety study number one just came out november 22nd 2023 that was a few months ago in nature magazine it's it basically has demonstrated that that taste perception not stomach signals primarily regulates eating behavior in other words when i was in dental school and when i took physiology before Dental school, satiety—that feeling that I've had enough to eat—we were told that it came from stretch receptors, even in the esophagus, as food was coming down that tube into the stomach, and then stretch receptors in the stomach, and that you could fatigue those receptors and and fool the stomach by overeating. But anyway, those receptors, those stretch receptors, were the determinant in when you felt full. In other words, you felt satiated, that that degree of satiety was such that you stopped eating. And we do live in a society where we are concerned about our weight, as we should be, because most of us are overweight. Um, variety of reasons for that. This has all come to a head now with uh, new drugs like uh, Ozempic, GLP inhibitors, and I'm not going to get too much into that, but this may relate a little bit to that, because that mechanism of how that drug works on hormones and parts of our brain it's not quite clear yet as far as the side effects go also a lot is unknown So what I'm going to be talking about today is a way or something you should try before you think about ta- before you think of taking any weight loss drug or yo-yo dieting and and making severe very decisions that that could affect your health even fasting. I would be careful with fasting. I'm not against fasting, intermittent fasting, but I think sometimes it's overdone, and I think there are gender differences between the, the you know, between between the genders on on who is it good for, and then there's time of day. I do think it's better to fast to eliminate dinner, not breakfast. Protein intake is a big part of that, and again, I'm not going to get into that, but this is part of that discussion. So I've recently lost about 15 pounds. I may do an episode on that, and I've talked about it a little bit. I'm not uncomfortable about talking about it, but I think it's important that we all figure out how to do this uh, as naturally as possible. But I did it before... I knew about this study, but now that I have read this study, I'm going to relate back to how it may have helped me on my weight loss journey. So anyway, so let's talk about the first study, November 22nd, 2023. Taste perception, not stomach signals, primarily, there are some stomach signals still, but primarily is now considered to be the regulator uh, on eating behavior. There are neurons in the brainstem uh, that respond quickly, not like the stretch receptors in the stomach which would be a gradual process or delayed process but these neurons in the brainstem respond quickly to taste signals coming from the tongue that specifically the taste buds to control food intake and the findings very clearly have implications for understanding how weight loss drugs work and it could also lead to more effective treatments but let's forget about all these weight loss drugs and effective or potentially, or potential future treatments, uh, that, that's a can of worms. Um, let's talk about how some simple things that we can do. Again, I'm a dentist, so there are a lot of things I can tell you on, on how this is connected and what we can do before we would even consider these more drastic approaches that obviously will have, have side effects. So let, let's talk about that. But first, some background on the neuronal effects and and how the brain works when it comes to satiety. All right, let's talk about this first study, the the study that prompted me to record this episode and look up some other research as it relates to this. That'll be the second study. So this study, again, November 22nd uh, of last year, proposes that there are other things at play here, and and maybe not even that, that the primary signal comes from taste. In other words, what we taste, whether we're able to taste it properly, that all boils down to the condition of our tongue. Is there an oral microbiome connection? Is there a oral health or dental connection to uh, the tongue and taste? And again, medicine doesn't really cover the tongue as much and and dentistry doesn't either ayurvedic medicine does 4000 year old practice of ayurvedic medicine does look at the tongue the tongue gets my point is is that the tongue is getting ignored tongue cancer is, is the big deal in dentistry and certainly if that's if if you have tongue cancer that has to be addressed quickly and it, it can be very life-threatening or uh, can affect the quality of your life but other than that there's not much that gets discussed which is too bad and i think after you hear what i have to say about how important the tongue is when it comes to weight loss even metabolic diseases like diabetes, then, then I think we're going to have new respect for the tongue. In dentistry, at least, dentists that are enlightened, malfunctional, malfunctionally enlightened, or they're functionally minded, they understand that the tongue is very important for development of the face and and airway, and we've talked about that. But we're going to talk about the top layer of the tongue that has that 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 contains the taste buds and how those taste buds are crucial to weight loss or the feeling of satiety indirectly, then weight loss. And do oral conditions affect those taste buds? Uh, that's what we're gonna talk about. I'm sure most of you remember Pavlov's dog. That was a Russian researcher who had a dog, I think it was a German Shepherd, uh, I forget. But I remember reading that early on. This was pre-Dent food science and also neurology. And Pavlov pr- proposed over a century ago that the sight, smell, and taste of food are important for regulating digestion. In fact, it just by looking at food or smelling food, this poor dog, <laughs> the dog would start salivating. Um, and, and that's interesting. I think, you know, it, it's important to know that the body is preparing for digestion even before food hits, hits the mouth. But what cuts off the need to eat? What turns that, that impulse to eat off? And what regulates? What down-regulates it? But at the time, and, and this theory has been discussed for a long time, and, but pretty much impossible to study the relevant brain activity during eating up until recently, because these brain cells that control or regulate this process are located deep in the brainstem. This is a very base, instinctual part of the brain that regulates food intake, hunger, and satiety. It's the same thing with thirst. Thirst reflexes, very complicated. And these these are regulated by parts of the brain where we hopefully don't have control over, because if we did, we would override it and then we would we would not survive as a species. I, I know there are certain conditions that that do from a pathological standpoint override these these signals to drink or not to drink, not to overdrink, not to eat, and not to overeat. But we're not going to get into that. But anyway, Pavlov started the whole process and now with new techniques, thank goodness, brain scans on live animals. We are now able to see what parts of the brain are active even more than that actually, what they're doing and how they're responding to external stimuli. And and then downstream, what are they modulating or or who who they're sending messages to in the body. And this kind of imaging and recording of the brainstem structure is critical for, for measuring this feeling of being full. It comes from the nucleus of the solitary tract, the NTS and this, this researcher in the study used an awake active mouse and he used those techniques to look the, the new scanning techniques and he looked at these two types of neurons that have been known for decades to have a role in food intake but he was able to finally support the idea that these neurons were involved. He and his team they were there were two different categories one where they put food directly into the mouse, into the mouse's stomach, I think. this They were being force-fed. And then the brain cells called the prolactin-releasing hormone. That's a hormone that's involved with digestion and, and eating. They were activated by these nutrient signals that were sent from the GI tract in line with traditional thinking, the stress receptors and the results of all the prior studies. So he confirmed that, that that process or that mechanism was in place, but then what they did to they they changed the the second category so that they could see if they could bypass that system to see if there's any other system in place that would regulate or modulate this 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 need to eat so they allowed the mice to eat food on their own as they normally would and those signals from the gut didn't show up the ones that I talked about previously the 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 ones that stimulated the prolactin releasing hormone and they didn't show up but instead the prolactin Releasing hormone, brain cells switch to a new activity pattern. This is the part of the brain that activates that, and this was inti- entirely controlled by signals from the mouth. That's the pathway. It wasn't from the gut, from the stomach. Um, is that a big surprise? I think so. I mean, again, as I mentioned earlier, the, the tongue and the mouth is ignored in so many aspects of healthcare, And so this was a big plus. The, the mouth is now a big player or is being seen as a big player in, in this regulation pathway. And, you know, it is a total surprise that these cells were activated by the perception of taste. I think that's very important to know. So, and if, if it's taste, then it's how good are the taste buds? What is their condition? And if they're dulled or blunted and if they're not eating, if you're not eating the right foods, what at what point does... Satiety set in. So again, these are new components of the appetite control system, and this needs to be considered. So I read this, and I was very excited. Of course, I'm, I'm a big cheer cheerleader for the for the mouth, but then I I, I thought about all of my patients and my forty years of clinical experience and I started making connections in my, in my head and I realized that it's really the condition of what's going on in the mouth that could affect the ability of this system to, to work properly. Let me get into that a little bit. So I did a little research, didn't take long. I would say minutes before I came up with some studies, I handpicked this one. This is oral health and the microbiome. Implications for taste, state of the science on the role of oral health. That's the condition of your mouth and emerging, emerging science of the microbiota and its implications for taste. And this is January, 20, 20, 20, January 2022, so it's pretty recent. Basically, it talks about the tongue as being the principal taste organ, no surprise there, located in the oral cavity. Therefore, factors in oral health have the potential to affect taste or the perception of what we are eating. And I would say beyond the joy of good-tasting food, what is this feedback loop? Is it good-tasting food? Is it what we perceive to be good-tasting? There's this behavioral component to food, and I'm going to try and simplify that. But in this study, the two most common oral diseases, again, I'm not surprised by this, but I wanted to find a study instead of me just mouthing off about this i wanted to stu- i wanted to find a study that supported this this one does two most common oral diseases dental caries cavities and periodontitis gum disease have been shown to affect or alter taste perception again i'm not surprised by this i've seen my patients that have gum disease that have a high decay rate they're typically overweight, or they're dieting a lot. They've got a coating on their tongue. They have yeast infections in their mouth. The oral they have an, they are suffering from an oral microbiome dysbiosis, and I knew that that had leading had had implications to many parts of the mouth, uh, implications that we weren't even aware of. And now, obviously, it's about taste, and if it's affecting the taste buds, then it's preventing us from uh, receiving that that signal that we've eaten enough. So let me expand on this a little bit. Okay, let me just read this from the study just to give you an overview. The oral microbiome has been shown to alter taste perception even in the absence of these diseases. Okay, distinct bacterial composition with taste-specific shifts in the oral microbiome have been reported. Changes in the end-stage breakdown products in the oral environment, these are metabolites, uh, which is what digestion does start in the mouth, could be potentially mediating the microbiome's role in taste perception. Now, again, this study wasn't mentioned in the more recent study um, uh, you know, about from UCSF that taste determines satiety. Perhaps he wasn't aware of it, but they are linked together. And again, this is a perfect example how oral health is runs parallel to systemic health and, and there very few connections are made. But here we go. I mean, uh, could be potentially mediating the microbiome's role in taste perception. So what are these mediators or things that alter taste? And if taste is altered, then does that alter the, the signal to stop eating? And, and I would say yes, I don't have a study for that. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that if you have a very dry mouth, if you are suffering from cavities, eating a lot of sugar, your gums are bleeding, that there is a dysbiosis in your mouth, an oral microbiome dysbiosis, that's, that includes the biofilm on your tongue. If you have a lot of fillings, resins, metal fillings... If you have dentures, you have no teeth, or you have partial dentures, some teeth and a partial denture, especially if you're smoking, uh, even more so vaping. Vaping has a huge effect on, on taste. And if you're not tongue scraping, I think all of these factors basically interfere or turn off that satiety reflex from tasting certain foods. Now, of course, There's another side to this argument. You need to be eating foods that are very, I guess, savory, spices, lots of flavor. And you also have to be eating real food. Something we've known for a long time in food research is that these non-foods, like cereals, potato chips, things that come in bags that are processed, enriched, bleached, those are not real foods. Uh, We have impossible... Meat. Now we've got synthetic foods. The body, I think, does not respond to those foods. It, it is not part of the satiety reflex because it doesn't recognize those foods. Because structurally, molecularly speaking, they are not food. And I think the taste bugs, sorry, the taste buds' role in this is to sample. DNA. My friend Dr. Mark Hyman has often said, and I love it when he says this, that food is DNA. Tasting, the tongue is sampling the external environment um, uh, on on a molecular basis. That's what the taste buds are doing. Yes, they are making food pleasurable to us just like sex is pleasurable to us as a mammalian species, somehow that had to be included for us to have that desire to procreate just as there is this need to have a desire to eat so that we can survive as a species. So again, your food has to be high quality. There, are, There's a lot of research out there that says the the higher the quality of the food, the more likely you are. And, and the more time you spend making the food instead of buying food and ripping open the bag and eating out of the bag, and making your own food, which is part of the process, smelling it, and then tasting it as you're making it, cooking to taste, and then, and then caramelizing fats or sugars and carbs on the food. All of that process is part of the satiety process in terms of tasting. And remember, there's a component of olfactory the olfactory bulbs, the olfactory sensory system when it comes to taste. We can taste certain foods by smelling them as well. So that's probably part of this as well. Again, not in the scope of these studies, but that's okay. Anyway, so your selection of food is important. Eat real food, fake food does not register, the tongue doesn't register that, and you're gonna eat more of that. And big food understands this, they're gonna put things in there that you become addicted to, and since there's no satiety reflex, you're just gonna eat until you throw up or you feel really sick, and that's really unfortunate. Protein. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I mentioned earlier I was going to talk about my weight loss journey. I turned up the protein. I would fast in the morning, but now what I do is when I wake up at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., first thing I do is I take in about 25 to 35 grams of protein. I, I, I use whey protein. One of my sponsors who I... Absolutely love all of their products. Paleo Valley makes this uh, chocolate whey protein with colostrum in it. And I, I ingest, I put two scoops into cold water. It's the first thing I do in the morning. I hydrate, I get a full glass of water and I get uh, 25, a little bit more grams of protein. After I started doing that, I did a few other things too. I removed—I I don't count calories, not yet at least. I removed about 300-400 calories of food a day. Typically those were snacks in between meals. And then I added about another 400-500 calories of exercise burned. And that literally just took the weight off within weeks. Six to eight weeks I had lost that weight. And now it's easy to, to, to keep off. But I do think back to the protein in the morning, and my comments on intermittent fasting sometimes i'll skip dinner that helps more than skipping breakfast at least in my case but that protein first thing in the morning i think that is part of the satiety satiety kind of paradigm here or or mechanism i think your tongue those taste buds are looking for protein first thing in the morning you've been literally fasting. My last meal is typically I'm done eating dinner by 6.30 and I do not snack before I go to bed. I'll drink a little bit, some water, hydrate, maybe some electrolytes, some supplements. But that's a long time not to have protein. So I think it's important to load up on protein. And the beauty of that is it it makes me feel full, but it also gives me a chance to uh, feel full early in the morning. Typically, when I could be very hungry because I've been coming off of a long six to eight hour fast, and that is the the wall of sleep. So, protein is very important. I think that is part. I think we are all eating too little protein, and because of that, we tend to snack a lot. I think this is part of that satiety aspect of the tongue. The tongue is looking for certain ingredients. On a molecular level, it is looking for protein, complex carbs, fibrous foods, etc., etc. So, I think that's helped a lot and I think that is part of it. And then last, I want to mention... So, Oral microbiome dysbiosis. Obviously, see your, see your dentist, fix that. If you have oral disease, you, you are going to have satiety dysfunction based on that feedback loop on the tongue. First thing you can do there is, well, two things. Take away mouthwash. Mouthwash is creating a dysbiosis on the tongue. We've talked about this. We've done many episodes on that. We've got blog posts on that, Instagram posts. Uh, you've seen me on podcasts talk about this. This research is old research. Uh, Mouthwash essentially is a product designed to disinfect the horrible, terrible bugs in your mouth. That's not true, there are no bad bugs in the mouth. There are no good bugs, there are just a lot of bugs, and it's how they all interact that's important. But trying to kill certain players, S. mutan, P. gingivalis, these bugs that cause or are seen prevalent in oral disease, not because they're bad, but because they've taken over, and the good bugs have been suppressed, more, more than that but mouthwash is not the solution in fact it makes things worse it can actually aggravate oral disease cause more cavities make your breath smell worse and it affects the bugs that are producing breaking down nitrates to nitrites and producing nitric oxide and we've talked about that a lot so so stop doing that i think that is part that is that is something that is affecting your taste and then the next thing to 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 clean up your tongue and allow those taste buds to taste food properly. And I've been saying this for quite a while, not in the context of the study. That's why I was so happy to see this study. Um, But I have been telling my patients probably for at least 30 years, scrape your tongue, you'll taste more food and food will be more interesting and more fun to you. Perhaps you'll be even able to make better selections in food because your tongue has been scraped clean. The tongue is like a shag carpet. Think of a field of mushrooms with big head caps on them and all that debris and food and biofilm and all that crap that builds up over time gets caught underneath the caps, the mushroom caps, Mm -hmm. On these papillae, the taste buds, and you really need to stir that up. As much as you need to brush your teeth and thin and disrupt the biofilm, you need to disrupt this biofilm, especially on your tongue. And now we have a new reason, and that is to help allow our taste buds to do their job, and that is to tell us we've eaten the right foods, we've eaten healthy, good foods, and we don't overeat, we've eaten to the point where we've we've gotten all the nutrients that we need. So anyway, I hope you see how I connected those two studies and connected it to oral health. Again, seeing that study and then quickly finding a few other studies and relating it to things I've been saying for a long time, this was very exciting for me. This kind of is what drives me every day. I sit here in the barn, I come across studies, I'm always looking for them actively. Sometimes you send me studies, I have other dentists and researchers that I speak to in the morning, and and we talk about this stuff. And again, if I were to rely on my dental curriculum, on my dental training, I that would put me 10-15 years behind uh, on what what information is available to us uh, as practitioners, as clinicians. But as a clinician, our plate is full and it's very difficult to get this information. So, and again, I turn this information around and I help educate you, the listener, because I think you deserve it, and I think you can understand this. And if your dentist is not providing this information or aware of it, you can enlighten them. And of course, I do reach out and educate other dentists, specifically the ones, not limited to, but specifically the ones on our directory. If you go to askthedentist.com slash directory, you will see these are all functionally minded dentists, and they will be willing to have this conversation with you. So scrape your tongue, eat the right foods, maybe take some of the tips that I gave you on weight loss. This will help improve your life, and it's not about what we used to think it was, and that was the stomach receptors. There are other mechanisms in place, and if you dull them and prevent them from working, it's gonna be difficult to suppress your appetite. It sounds like suppressing your appetite is a normal thing. We don't want to we don't want to have to go out of our way to suppress appetite. That should be happening on its own. And if we let the oral microbiome do its job, in other words, if we use products or not use products, stay away from mouthwash, use the toothpaste. That's not knocking down your oral microbiome, but nourishing it, uh, supporting it and you're scraping your tongue and modifying and keeping that tongue, modifying the biofilm on your tongue, cleaning it, not knocking out those bacteria with mouthwash, you're going to have a much better chance at being thin and healthy. Thin in the sense of not looking better. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about not having all that fat which becomes an organ which changes you in so many different ways, increases your likelihood of getting cancer and Alzheimer's and affecting your blood sugar levels. And in turn, full circle here, aggravating and making oral diseases, especially gum disease, that much worse. And of course there's a connection between craving the wrong foods like saltine crackers, goldfish, breakfast cereals, because your tongue is not getting the right feedback. So scrape your tongue smile a lot, and tell everyone about this wonderful set of studies and this connection that we've made here. This is an easy way of allowing our bodies to do the right thing for us and to help us achieve optimal overall health, certainly good oral health. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. Not sure what we're going to talk about next week, but look for me on Instagram updating you on the lawsuit against the EPA. Very exciting times hoping we can get rid of fluoride in our water. Remember, Europe has, in the US here, we drink more, we ingest more fluoridated water than the whole world combined. All of the EU, and and of course now England is not, Britain is not in the EU, but all of the EU has not adopted fluoride. And we, we, the EU and the US has the same rate of cavities. Just think about that. We have the same rate of cavities. One part of the world has a lot of fluoride in their water, one part of the world doesn't have a lot of fluoride in their water. So obviously that's not working well, the fluoride. And you could argue that we're not as smart as we used to be. The IQ drop in our children when they're exposed to fluoride, even in toothpaste, is four to nine points. More on that later. Very exciting. Hoping this we get a good verdict on this lawsuit. Again, thanks for listening. See you next week in the next episode of Ask the Dentist. Thanks for listening to Ask the Dentist. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Mike Fry. Drop me a line at mark at askthedentist.com. If you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening and especially for taking an interest in oral health. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com slash directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.